This is Hitting the Mark, conversations with founders and investors about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success, with your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Garhalter. Welcome to Hitting the Mark. Today we welcome a guest who I have been looking forward to for a while now. The subject hits home in many ways. Not only is this founder based in Berlin, Germany, hence you will get a double German accent episode today, but his is the world of classical music, which is the same world in which I grew up in back in Vienna. Til Yangsukovic is the founder of Idagio, which is often described as being the Spotify for classical music. Till has more than 20 years of experience as an artist manager, producer, and concert promoter. In 2000, he established a European office for Columbia Artists Management, heading it up as managing partner for 11 years. He was responsible for organizing several of the Metropolitan Opera's European tours, and his personal clients included conductors Christian Thielemann, Seichi Osawa, André Preven, and Yuka Pekka Saraste, as well as pianists Ivo Pogorelic and Akadi Volodosh. In 2008, he founded the Abu Dhabi Classics, a performing art series merging culture, education, and tourism for the government of the United Arab Emirates. That is where he arranged debuts for the New York, Berlin, and Vienna Philharmonics. The Bayreuth Festival and Daniel Barnboim, Simon Rattle, Subin Mehta, Yo-Yo Ma, Ben Kingsley, Jeremy Irons, and countless other musical and artistic luminaires. I'm thrilled to welcome you to the show, Till. Big pleasure to meet you and to be here. Absolutely. So, as I mentioned in my intro, this is truly a pleasure for me since my, my father was an amazing violinist who spent most of his life as a concertmaster in some of Vienna's best orchestras from the Vienna State Opera Orchestra, the Vienna Tonkünstler Orchestra, the Kammer Orchestra, all the way to the Vienna Philharmonics and appeared on over 50 records and radio productions. So he was also a sound purist who loved his audio gadgets <laughs> the same way that I do now. And he would have cherished to hear this conversation today. So listeners who are not classical music fans may wonder why. Why was there a need for classical music in an app form when you can find plenty of classical options on Spotify, Apple Music and Tidal? And Let me quote an article from Vogue that explained it perfectly well. It all comes down to metadata. While metadata for most popular music is quite simple, there's the artist, the song, or track, the album it's from. Classical metadata might encompass everything from the composer, the orchestra, the conductor, the choir, which may have its own director, various soloists, the title of the piece, along with perhaps some sort of number or nomenclature to indicate its place within a larger symphony or work, and an artist's opus number, or in the case of composers like Mozart or Bach, whose works are ordered by their own system, their Kochel or BWV or BWV number. So it's not simple. And yes, 
there is a big need for it. Till your biography talks a lot about the amazing journey you have taken prior to starting Idagio in 2015. But tell us a bit about the founding story behind Idagio. How did it all start? Give us the romance, the hardship of your startup's early days. <laughs> So where to start? Um, let, let's start with the Romans, maybe. Um, That's a good place. Early, let's start positive. They're very early Romans. But what I would say is um, that, that I was lucky and only looking back, I understood that I was lucky. Um, I was offered a piano when I was six years old. And um, that captured me immediately. So uh, once I started to play the piano for the first time without knowing anything, uh, I knew and kind of felt, well, that's my life. I'm going to spend my life with, with, with this kind of music that fascinates um, And kind of, I could even say, probably I've never, never worked or never felt I, I was working in my life. And, and at the very end, it comes down to um, a vari variety of attempts to promote what fascinated me. Um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a very... I wouldn't say egoistic way, but it's, it's a, it was a very obvious thing for me. You know, classic music captured me. It, 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 it uh, opened stories for me. It uh, created images and so on. So I started to be a pianist at the beginning, and uh, thanks God, I became friend with a with a real pianist, <laughs> Christian Stepperman, <laughs> uh, when, when when I was 18 years old. Who, by the way, you are from Vienna, and probably you were even still in Vienna these days. He recorded Beethoven violin concert, uh, Beethoven piano concerti with the Vienna Philharmonic and Leonard Bernstein huh, uh, in yeah. the 80s. Um, so Christian uh, became a good friend. I saw what he did. I saw what I did and said, okay, he's a pianist. So <laughs> next step for me was then he, he wanted to push me into management uh, and, and, and it helped me a lot. But first of all, I started to be a teacher during my studies, earned some money. Um, but I I'm coming from a family of teachers who say, okay, my dad was a teacher, my mom was a teacher, my grandfather was a teacher. So do you really want to sign a contract at your end uh, 20s and that, that that's going to determine what you're going to do until the end of your life? And the answer was no. So uh, I didn't want to become a teacher. I wrote a little bit, but also as a writer, I saw, well, you, you can speak about something, but you can't really change it. So then I went into management, and now I'm coming to your question, to, um, to the necessity of, uh, of Idagio. Um, uh, as a manager, my perspective was always a kind of B2B perspective. You know, if you manage a, a great conductor uh, or a great uh, soloist, uh, you tour an orchestra, it, it's about, first of all, building brands. You know, any young artist you see or any unknown ensemble or new music you, 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 you see, um, as a manager, you have the possibility to, to, to make these people famous, to assist them, to find out how they work and how you can help them. Um, and uh, what I saw then, having spent my life in, 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 in management, putting on concerts in <clears throat> all parts of the world, and we can cover that a little later because there were many fascinating learnings. But the main thing for me was that um, uh, if the future of music listening streaming and the all genre streaming services aren't designed for classical music because as you said they are uh, they are uh, around pop music and they're pop driven where you only have three criteria the song the artist and the album my clients are going to uh, be uh, invisible in the digital ecosystem so at the moment uh, there is no 
uh, digital structure that could track down a recording where you have a conductor, you have an orchestra, you have singers, you have a soloist, you have the composition and so on. The moment that doesn't exist, uh, I saw that as a, let's say, kind of luxury problem from a user's perspective because you can still curate and so on. And maybe it's, yes, it's a problem for aficionados, but at the very end, I want to push a button uh, and I want music to play without a huge cognitive investment that I like, uh, fine, but even there, there's a huge group of aficionados worldwide that suffering from bad metadata and bad usability of classical music streaming platforms. But uh, if you look at it from an artist's uh, perspective, this is a real threat. Because mm -hmm. if you can't be tracked down in the digital space and people don't find you, you, you cease to exist. And with you, the entire genre start, uh, ceases to exist. And that was a kind of motivation for me. I said, well, uh, you have to do something. And the main question at the beginning for me was, how can we use technology uh, in order to maintain that music genre that, that, that was the passion since I first encountered that? And uh, there was not at the beginning the idea, well, I have to found uh, the best streaming service for classical music. That was the, the result of a chain of iterations. Uh, and for us, it's rather the beginning than the end. It was really more of an action cry, right? Like you needed, you, it needed to be done in order to, you know, in, in, you know, in the biggest terms possible, you know, save classical music for generations, right? And I think to, to me, that's, that's where it gets really interesting to think about who the audience is, right? When, when you think of classical music, many think of an older audience, but, but you're obviously a digital tool that already eliminates the, I would say, the too old for tech audience, right? And yeah. you, you also clearly understand that you have to capture the hearts and souls of the next generations as the idagio or idagio, and you and I had a little chat prior to this, it could, it could go either way, so I don't feel guilty, <laughs> the, the idagio um, Instagram account, for instance, um, you know, it nicely shows that it's going for the next generations, 29,000 followers, you have features like a relax playlist, which are perfect gateway drugs to anyone, regardless of musical preference, right? Um, who do you cater to and how do you capture them in your brand communications? Do you constantly run that fine line between young and old and classical novice versus expert? Well, there are various levels uh, to, to answer that. I think um, when I kind of left my peer group, uh, the classical music world that I've been spending my life in, and started to enter into tech, I was, of course, reading a lot, and I, all these blogs, and I, I, I traveled to San Francisco and to Silicon Valley just to be there to, to talk to people, to understand what it's all about. And uh, the first thing I learned, or the first thing at least that I remember, is that one of the biggest... The, 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 one of the most uh, failures of startups is uh, to solve problems that don't exist. Right. And um, for me, it was obvious that this problem does exist, um, both from a customer or user perspective and also from, a, from an artist perspective. So um, that, that, that was the beginning. And, and based on that, we, we, we did build our own technology, metadata model, and so on and so on. And based on that, we can now answering your question, cater for all varieties of audiences. And um, what was interesting for me to see that um, after having spent 20 to 25 years in that, um, in that world, 
um, more or less looking at things and reacting to things through my instinct, the assumptions I, 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 I got over the, over the years, they were confirmed in real numbers because you know, the classical world is not really about numbers. It's, it's about opinions. It's about being right. You know, everybody is right. Everybody knows and it's very controversial, very <laughs> ego-driven also. And now I entered a, in a world where it's numbers. Okay, what you say is nothing more than a thesis. Let's prove it. So that was totally new to me and very fascinating. Right. Um, and what we found out that there are 5, 10, 15, 20, maybe 50 use cases of listening to classical music. And you can, of course, go and start segmenting classical music listeners. But interesting um, uh, is also to me that you can uh, uh, probably break it down into use cases because there are use cases that you would probably apply to an aficionado that sometimes also apply to a millennial listen to class, listening to classic music, vice versa. So for example, you mentioned this mood searcher we have, and why do we have it? I wanted a tool where everybody um, who opens the app and comes in contact with classic music can execute an action, move something, just touch um, a screen with a finger, remove the finger, but already make a choice. So it, it can go to relaxed or meditative or joyful and so on. Um, and then it's simply a playlist opening up with joyful or relaxing or focusing music. However, this is a use case that also some aficionados like, because also aficionados are sometimes, I don't know, ironing their shirts or cleaning, uh, I don't know, cleaning the home. So uh, this is the first thing I wanted to, to highlight here because that was very interesting to me. Secondly, um, there are, of course, the obvious different segments. And um, you have uh, um, the fact that um, classical music around the globe is a kind of genre that's, achieve that's aggregating the high achievers, kind of. You know, classical mm -hmm. music has always been uh, the music genre of the emerging communities. Um, if you look at South, South America, you give uh, uh, underprivileged kids, you give them instruments. And Beethoven, playing Beethoven, makes their lives meaningful from one day to the other. So this is Il Sistema, where Gustavo uh, Dudamel is one of the most, Gustavo Dudamel is mm -hmm. one of the most known um, uh, representatives. Well, he's here in the Los Angeles Philharmonics now. So, yeah, he's close exactly. to home. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, and, and, and this is something that you, at the same time, you have, I don't know, you have 50 million piano students in China these days. Mm -hmm. uh, at Kirk Mazur, for example, used to say that the future of classical music is in China, which I would say the future of classical music will also be in China. But we see that a lot of young people uh, in the Nordics, in Europe, but also in the United States are more and more turning to classical, but they see and look at classical music in a different way, because especially in Germany, uh, you're from Austria, you know, Central Europe, Classical music is a kind of heavy, serious thing. Um, you have to, to gain some knowledge before you really understand it, which I totally I believe is total bullshit, you know? <laughs> if music is great, everybody understands it immediately. And, um, and the use case, a new use case that's coming up, that I'm listening to classical music because it helps me focus. It helps me calm down. But another word that, um, uh, that uh, I see in classical music is belonging. 
Because if you listen to classical music and if you listen to a great concert with friends and a social environment, it also makes you feel connectiveness. You're connected with other people. You're connected with the musicians on stage. You're connected with, with the people you are listening to. So it's a kind of, there's a very nice quote of, uh, uh, which is very famous, but I heard it first from Yo-Yo Ma, who, who once said, uh, you know, the great thing about classic music is that it makes you, it makes you part of something bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a very, very uh, needed and a, a, a great value proposition. And, and I think playing devil's advocate, that, that could be said about pretty much every musical genre, right? Because it is a very communal, a communal tribal, you know, kind of idea. But with classical, just the idea that a lot of it happens in ginormous orchestras, right? There is so much, there's so much where, where one person talks to the other via their musical instrument. And, you know, jazz is kind of, you know, one step up from pop where you've got a couple of people that need to perfectly sync in an orchestra, you know, make this 10, 20, 30-fold, right? So there's something by just the structure of classical music um, where, it's, where it's more communal from, from the get-go, um, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, jazz, I, I would say, goes very much in the same direction um, uh, because it, it, it has its various levels. But, I mean, if, if you look at what is, what is, what is constituting music, uh, first of all, you have a melody. Number two, you have rhythm. And number three, you have harmonies. And then you can have one melody, which is the case in, in pop music. But then you can have two melodies, two themes. Then it starts with this, um, with uh, something that probably 70 of eight or 80 percent of classic music have in common, which makes it so fascinating. You have two themes. And very often in the sonata form, the first theme is male and the second theme is female. How chauvinistic. <laughs> it's very chauvinistic, but everybody apparently seems to like Beethoven sonatas or Mozart symphonies where exactly this is happening. And then you have, you have an exposure, ex exposition where the first theme, the male theme, is being presented, and afterwards the female theme is presented. And then you have the second part where these themes start to interact and to talk to each other and sometimes there is tension and then it comes down and so on so it's a very very it's 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 very very close to storytelling um, without words and this is something probably said that earlier what captured me at the very beginning and it's, i think it's a fascinating world because you can close your eyes but you see stories you feel stories but you don't need to know when beethoven was born you don't need to know what is the overture you don't need to know what is an area Just close your eyes and listen to it. And this music is so appealing to everybody. And I think one of the mistakes that classical music, or classical music has made over decades is, is building these huge walls around it. Mm -hmm. Because if you go back to, to, to Mozart or Bach, I mean, it was entertainment music. I mean, it's, it's a genre that, that, that comes from the courts and, 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 and the people were eating and drinking and laughing and walking out and coming back, something that... Uh, Uh, the middle classes who occupied classic music for themselves uh, uh, started to forbid. And this created a kind of, uh, kind of uh, intimidating, let's say, when we speak about branding, <laughs> uh, a, a part of this brand that is intimidating. And it's, nece it, it's not necessary because it's, it's, it's so embracing and it's, 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 it's such a great genre. 
I so agree with you. I so agree with you. Um, you know, being, you know, coming from a household <laughs> where, where, you know, we constantly went to the Wiener Musikverein, you know, to see my dad play and, and others. And it, it's, it was always a big deal, right? Even though it's my dad on stage and it's just normal. We go, we go to his workplace, right? Um, there's, there's something, there's yeah. an aura around classical music that, that, that feels like it is it should it's a, it's a cloud that 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 should be broken right and I, and it feels like i love i love how you talk about it and even though i did not really realize that but as i started looking through through your through your brand work right through your website through through your through your app um it actually really is what you're doing. You're breaking that stigma. You're 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 like you're like breaking that wall down, and I think it's beautiful. And while while we talk about um, musical terms, let's talk about Idagio, the brand name, um, for, for for a second. It sounds it sounds a lot and pretty obviously to me like Adagio, which you know which, which only has one letter replaced. And and Adagio for our non musical listeners signifies music played in slow tempo. So. What was, what was the inspiration for the name? Walk us through that a little bit. Uh, it's, it's a very end simple. I mean, we needed a name, first of all, and we wanted the name to be kind of self-explanatory. So we wanted something that people around the globe would associate with classical music. So Adagio, as you said, um, it's an international word. And many albums are just having one title, which is Adagio, if you have music that calms you down. Um, and at the same time, we wanted something that people understand in context of technology. And this is uh, uh, I. Uh, and so and, and the funny thing is that we had um, a law firm uh, working for us this time. And they were also representing a very famous American brand that has uh, um, uh, created many new devices that are starting with an I. Whatever that could us, be. <laughs> whatever that may be. And they called us back after three days. Oh, we checked it. You can use the name. No, no, no problem at all. So Adagio was boring. That was a funny incident. That's, that's hilarious. Um, yeah, and, and it's not always that case. I heard of other firms that try to use um, you know, names that started with I. Um, but, but, and, and they couldn't do it based on that same, that same conglomerate that, that kind of tries to own right. that one letter. Um, but obviously, those are, those are words where the I has more of a meaning in front of it with, you know, Idagio, Idagio. It, it, is, it, it is a word. You know, the I itself is not as meaningful. So, um, great. Well, I'm, I'm glad I got that quiz right. I'm, uh, I'm proud of myself. <laughs> how, did you, how did you and your team, obviously, um, derive the brand's visual aura, so to speak? Um, and, and I used the word aura specifically, since the gradient-based imagery surrounding your brand has a very meditative feel to it. And even talking about Adagio, the, the idea of slowing down, um, then you have the nifty mood selection feature, which we talked about in your app and overall you really crafted a, a beautiful slick visual identity that mixes the atmospheric like in many of the instagram posts with the harsh and crisp like in the actual logo or the line work that adds dimension to the gradient artwork now for everyone listening unless you're currently driving a car um head on over to idagio official um on instagram to see what we're actually talking about till how was how was that look 
derived. I think I think it just really found its groove, no pun intended. Um, you know, back in back in May on Instagram, where everything started to have this very distinct and and, and beautiful look. Can you talk a little bit about how this how this came about? I think there are three factors, probably, and. Of course, none of these factors was conscious during it was there. And only looking back, uh, you connect it uh, in, a, in a meaningful way. Probably the first thing is that my grandfather, who offered me the piano, he had, um, uh, he had a, a Braun stereo system mm -hmm. at home. And we, we all know that Braun was one of the uh, decisive uh, uh, branding and, and, and uh, visual influences for, for, for this very, very famous brand we have been speaking about. That was the first thing. The second thing, uh, as an artist manager, I was always in the second row. So that means you work as a kind of catalyst. You are great um, uh, for doing a great job if you are invisible. So you mentioned the Abu Dhabi classics I created. The star was the series. If you manage an artist, if you build the career of a conductor, the conductor is the star, not yourself. You are always in the background. And I think this is a kind of thinking um, that also my, my, my co-founder um, was, was aesthetically very uh, big, big fan of minimalistic architecture. We said we want a kind of look and feel that really highlights the musicians and the music, and that's not dominating them. Um, I think that's the second aspect. And the third aspect is that um, we had, um, uh, at a very, very early stage, I think our designer was start of the, of the founding team. Started uh, uh, on day one. I think he was one of the third or fourth people we hired. Uh, we, we, because we believe it's very important that you reflect the uh, kind of beautiful and, and fascinating and uh, special world that you also described and we're just speaking about you going to the Musikverein uh, with your family when your father was, uh, was playing. It's a, it's a kind of fascinating thing. We wanted to kind of translate that into, into a user interface and, and into a look and feel that respects the music and the artists. Which is really, really difficult to pull off. It's very easy to look at and then criticize or kind of like get it, you know, get your own emotions about it. In which, by the way, I would never criticize because I think it is brilliant. But it is so easy to look at something after it has been established. But to, to, to showcase music visually with all of its nuances, right, is, is yeah. an extremely difficult task so bravo to that it's it, it's really really well done and, and it was one of the reasons why i got sucked into into your brand so while we talk about while we talk about that we might as well talk one more second about about the actual icon about the, the logo it's it's a play on the play button um and and there's a horizontal line to the right of it right below it tell us a bit about the idea behind it obviously you are not the designer but i'm sure that that you know you you played a role in 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 signing it off and kind of adopting it what is what is the key idea behind it well i mean i i really have i don't want to take uh, credit of others my role was to not say no to it um, <laughs> <laughs> let's put it like this which doesn't mean that i i, I disliked it or, or or liked it but you know um, I, I was my 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 thinking here is rather and thinking back you know i was designing logos myself five, six, seven years ago, you know? And I had the first ideas of Idajo I was very proud of, I don't know, co copying 
some letters from an Italian luxury brand and, and I showed it our designer when we hired him and he laughed at me. <laughs> he was right <laughs> laughing at me. So I understood I, I don't have I, I don't really understand this. I mean I understand I can express what we what I what I wanted for the brand and I could express how I believe it may like may may, may look like uh, but he really did it. And um, I, I think it's it's at the very end of minimalistic thinking. I think it right. comes down to that. And not something that disturbs and 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 and, and you know and, and some people you, you get some some agencies from outside before and then were proposing a logo with some 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 music scores and all this, this, this <laughs> key and so on. I mean, it's it's, it's really so. It's uh, I think we are we are in a kind of different different world. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's the icon that we have, and, and, and maybe maybe one other thing. Um, uh, it's a little, little bit uh, on a little bit high level, but um, I was, I was thinking when you, when you were talking about um, again, I'm seeing in front of me your, your dad sitting on the on the stage of the Musikverein, and what was the classic music 20, 30, 40 years ago, and what has really changed? Because also we were talking about different customers. Say, um, when I started to work as a manager, that was '96. Um, that was still a period where a conductor was a maestro. Mm -hmm. He was a kind of icon. You couldn't reach him. You couldn't talk to him. Uh, the entire management approach was create a myth, create something that's unavailable, because the less it is available, the more people want it. And this is something, and this is a, an understanding of value that's owed to the old world, which is a kind of, of, of old world value thinking. I think in the digital world, and this is a big shift, in the digital world value is being created by being uh, visible, by being transparent, by, by showing with as many people as possible what you are, who you are, what you do. So this is a total, total paradigm shift. And if, if, if you look, for example, at, at a Karayan, you couldn't reach out to him. Uh, uh, Schulte was, was, was a kind of the same with running the, the, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra for many years. And if you now look these days at young conductors like Yannick Nessesegan, the, the music director of the Philadelphia Orchestra, uh, music director of the Metropolitan Opera, or Andres Nelson's music director of the Boston Symphony and the Gewandhaus Orchestra in Leipzig, Germany, um, it's a new generation um, of, of, of open-minded and more communicating conductors and what was very interesting to me i had a meeting with uh, with the, the juliet school of music in new york some uh, some months ago and i didn't know that when you're making your uh, your uh, your degree there if you um uh, if you leave school um you don't have to only to play you also have to moderate your performance and the way how you talk about the music you play as an artist is also a kind of being judged. And I think it's a very interesting thing. But mm -hmm. all this is owed to transparency that came through technology. I mean, all the scandals that we are seeing and witnessing these days, it's not that humanity has uh, apparently become uh, worse or, 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 or immoral, uh, just our ways to measure things and to see things are much more granular than 10, 20, 30, 50 years ago. And this is also kind of aesthetic shift in, in, in um, in, in classical music, and this is also creating a new type of classical musician. 
And I find it a very interesting thing to see how technology even has some impact on the way you perform classical music. That is absolutely fascinating. Um, I, I, I agree. I've never thought about it. I've never thought about it that way. But just like everything else, classical music is being touched by it. And it's, and it's great to be on the forefront of that, like, like you are. And while we're, while we're talking a little bit about philosophy um, here, what does, what does branding mean to you? The, the actual word branding, like how, how do you see it? I know we talked a lot about emotion. We talked a lot about, you know, um, how, 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 people, how people feel something rather than just listen to something. But, but you know, in, maybe even in the classical arena, like where you are, how, how do you, what do you, what do you think when you think of branding? Well, I would, I would spontaneously say branding is a kind of aggregated public perception um, it's, it's, it's kind of, if, if it goes well and you run, first of all, you have a good intention and you succeed in, in, in running the brand uh, you want, the way you want, then it's probably kind of aggregated trust and it's a kind of chiffre for people that says, well, yeah, I, I, can, I can turn into this complex thing um, without making a mistake, mm -hmm. without failing. Because I've heard of that brand from whomever, my, rather my peers these days than through advertisement because I think trust is getting more and more local um, and we, 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 we less and less trust governments and we less and less trust uh, corporations. So I rather trust my peers because I'm so overflooded with, uh, with, 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 with information and bombarded by, 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 by visual um, uh, things that want to, to, to get my attention. But I think branding for me uh, done right, it's something of, well, yes, I can go. It's a kind of safe, safe harbor, a safe place for me. Um, uh, and I can, I can recommend it. I can, I can package that when I talk to other people and, and, and pass it on to others and recommend to others. And you talked about you talked about trust um, and, and 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 failures. Uh, I'm not I'm not as familiar with the entrepreneurial scene in, in Berlin, but here in the U.S. we love to talk about failures. There there are entire business book sections um, dedicated to it. And even though in in my eyes it's it's blown way out of proportion, um, there are great things to be learned from mistakes that startup founders have made or witnessed during the early days of the brand formation. What was an enormous fail that you went through with Idagio in, in the very early days? Was there something where you just you look back and you're like, okay, that was, that was a fail. We could have prevented this. Someone can learn from this. Well, there is, I, I have to say, um, I think we were kind of lucky in leaving out many mistakes you can potentially make. Um, but of course, there were mistakes, but there is not this story where I would say, well, I mean, this is really, 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 I'll never forget it. I think it's rather, rather a pattern. What I've um, learned over the years is that um, if, if, if you do something for the first time and, and, and being an entrepreneur and forming and building something new um, has to do a lot with trial and error, um, probably the biggest mistake that I'm trying to avoid more and more is that I wasn't listening early enough to my, to my natural instincts. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I'm more and more convinced that this is the right thing. And it sounds like cliche, um, but I mean, this is a kind of principle that you can break down into any daily decision. 
if you feel something, but, and this is a, a personal problem that I have because everybody is, of course, different. And um, coming from the, from the world of the arts, um, I'm rather an, an intuitive, um, and I'll, some people say visionary, but at least I have ideas and some of these ideas have worked out in my life so far. But um, I'm, I'm not a, not a, I'm also analyzing it. But if I feel that something is right, I start to do it. Mm -hmm. And um, the bigger you grow as a, as a corporation, you more and more have to bring things that are on a subconscious level to a conscious level. And then it has to arrive on the conscious level. And then you have to explain it to everybody. And then you have to, to also give ownership to the people with whom you work, with your team, because you are nobody with your team. I mean, you can... You can you have a can form a north star. You can say that the direction and uh, give a vision and 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 the mission. And I think we are a company. Everybody is on that mission. And uh, people coming coming to the office uh, to our premises here in Berlin, they say, "Oh wow, it's kind of kind of great chemistry here. It feels good to be here." Um, so th th that's the thing. But I mean, we're not 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 talking about the good things. We're talking about failures. And of course, at the very end, nobody wants to fail. But uh, thanks God. Um, I was kind of so, uh, so uh, kind of um, brought to this life by, by really an American entrepreneur uh, uh, who was the owner of Columbia Artists, Ronald Wilford, and he was a typical American uh, self-made man. And one of, one of his quotes was, uh, that's still, you know, I didn't learn anything, and that's why I can do everything. <laughs> uh, and, and I think this is a good thing. And this, then, in the combination that I... When I, when I met him after our job interview in, in 96, where I even didn't perceive it as a job interview, but afterwards we had the first meeting. He said, well, tell you, know, we are in an industry of, in an industry of ideas. And uh, usually we all have a lot of ideas. Uh, and if, if, if you fail with 10 ideas, it's, 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 it's bad. You're gone. If you make one of the 10 ideas work, it's really great. If you make two of your 10 ideas work, this is highly above average. And I think this is a kind of mentality that's very, very un-German. And um, having in inhaled this kind of thinking for 16 years, um, I, I got more comfortable with the idea of making failures because, um, you know, a young artist is like a, like a, like a share, like, a, like, like stakes you buy in a company. You see something and you believe, oh, it ought to be there in two, four, six, eight years. And sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong. And then you have principles to figure out and, uh, and, and to understand why, why you may be right. Um, but going back, uh, in a nutshell, listen to yourself. And if you feel something, you're really convinced, do it, whatever others say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Listen to, listen to them, sorry, listen to them. Then think, but then do what you feel. And, and, the, and the same, um, you know, holds true for data, right? Because I'm sure at this point, um, your app has been downloaded over 1.5 million times, I think is the latest, um, you know, in, in 190 sure. countries. Yeah. So you must have so much great data about your users at this point. And I know you're using it, right? And, and you, you, um, you, you have studies, um, you know, made about, you know, about, about listenership and about what classical music means today. But on the other hand, you have to balance that out with not always listening to customer data and, and just kind of like like solely, solely basing decisions on your instinct as well. It's a, it's always a fine line that an entrepreneur walks. Um, yeah. 
on on the on the flip side now you know we we talked a little bit about failures now let's let's you know climb over that hill to success when you look back what was that big breakthrough moment where you felt like okay the startup is slowly moving into a brand like like people start using the name they start this the, the app becomes part of their daily life when did you know that you had something that would become a major player in the music world no 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 pun intended but um may it have been you know a funding round or the Salzburg festival where you launched or early user feedback what was it for Idagio where you knew that this will actually be a success? I, you know, I think in order to do something like that, like that, you need a certain uh, what we call. I don't know. How, you may may be able to translate it in German. There's a nice word, Gottvertrauen. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how you translate. You put you, you trust in God. <laughs> you right. Know, you do something, and everybody was like, oh, "You're going to fail. You're stupid." But you trust and you, you kind of trust that, that it will work. So this is something that was always there. Um, however, I, I, I would say two things. And, and one thing was quite early. Um, it was that we were indeed launching not the app, a minimum, minimum, minimum visible product, even not a beta, at the Salzburg Festival in 2015. Um, and we were launching there and we were sitting on stage in the premises of the festival upon invitation of the Vienna Philharmonic uh, with Franz Welser Merz, with Thomas Hampson. And then some days later, there was an article in uh, Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung. And they wrote, well, uh, if they're not going to, and that was 2015, and they wrote, if they're not going, um, uh, uh, running out of money, I doubt you could change the way how people listen to classical music. Hmm. And, and, and this is something I remember, we're by far not yet there, but having read that, and then securing the next funding round, the combination of those two things, then we say, okay, we are, we are, we are in a good way. Right. Let's, let's put it like that. Right, that, that's amazing. And, and for, you know, for our international listeners, which, which is the majority um, of, of our listeners, I think we have 6% uh, German listeners, um, the, the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung is, is, is the authority, in, you know, not only in Germany, but it, but it, but it reaches um, you know, through all of uh, Central Europe. So that is a, that is a huge, um, huge deal. And, and to go back to when you, when you talked about Gottvertrauen, the idea of you, you, you trust in God, um, just, just to make it universally accessible, um, it, it's also for atheists, right? Like that idea that you just you just trust in the universe, right? You you have this you have this you know ideology where you trust in the universe. Um, all right, Till, we're coming slowly to a close, but but none of my guests can get away without answering this particular question, uh, mainly because I believe it is such a great exercise for any entrepreneur to give some thought to as they keep building their culture and and their mm -hmm. brand. If you could describe, and I gave you a heads up on that, but if you could describe everything about your brand in one or two words that would turn into your brand's DNA, as I call it, what would it be? Like examples could be freedom for Harley Davidson or happiness for Coca-Cola. What, what would that brand DNA be? I have to answer that with an anecdote. And then I try to answer your question. Perfect. Um, you may know that uh, after uh, after Furtwängler left the Berlin Philharmonic, um, there was a young Romanian conductor, Sergio Celibidake, amazing, amazing conductor, who was then for many years a music director, legendary 
uh, Zen Buddhist and music director of the Munich Philharmonic. And he believed he would get the job of the music director of the Berlin Philharmonic, but then Karajan got the job. And I, I, I just have to say that because he said Karajan is like Coca-Cola. Uh, and you mentioned, you mentioned and I, think I, I, I think I know that story from my dad, actually, because it's so classic. <laughs> exactly. So, so sorry to, it's, it's not exactly an answer to what you asked, but <laughs> I had to raise that. Um, I mean, if, 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 you would, if you would allow two words um, that are not very romantic, I would say uh, what people should think in, in, in three, five, ten years when they hear Aidajo, it's classical music. Um, if you would ask me to, 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 to really distill it down to one word, then I would rather turn to what the classic music does with people. And then we could say happiness because it brings happiness. It gives mm -hmm. people a, a more happier life because it makes you healthy. It, 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 there are all these studies, uh, classic music connects when you're growing up. Um, uh, the, the right and the left half of the brain in a, in a more meaningful way. Uh, you, you, you learn empathy, but the social skills and so on. You could say health, but probably if you would nail it, ask me to really nail it down, nail it down to one word, it, I think it's belonging. I think it's belonging because um, if, you, if, if you look at what happens, you know, we, 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 we we come alone, we go alone, but we have the 60, 70, if you're lucky, 80 years in between to overcome this, this illusion of loneliness. Mm -hmm. And the classical music has this power to really connect you with other people. You don't need to touch them. You don't need to, to look at them. You close your eyes, but you feel connected with other people. And I think this is probably best described by the word belonging. And that's beautiful. And, and I knew that belonging would come back up because you talked about it in the beginning. And it is such, an, such a perfectly emotional word to, to, really capture, to really capture the brand and beyond, right? Really the entire genre. Um, where can listeners find Idagio if, if they are intrigued enough after listening to us for the last 45 minutes to give it a try and perhaps even become converts to the magic of classical music? Very easy on the internet idajo.com uh, in the app store uh, it, there's an android version um, uh, and uh, anybody for example who has a sonos device there's a sonos uh, implementation of idajo but i would say go to the internet and uh, there you'll find all the app stores find idajo and the, the, the different partnerships we have also with hardware uh, manufacturing and uh, yeah that's probably the easiest one Excellent, excellent. Uh, that's the beauty of owning your name online. <laughs> so, um, I, I know you launched um, the, the company at the Salzburg Festival or the Salzburger Festspiele, as we refer to it, in 2015. And that is exactly where I will be heading next week. So watch out for me, Till. If you're in Salzburg, you might run into me at one of the many Festspiele locations. Um, cool. <laughs> th yeah. thank, thank you so much for staying late at your office in, in Berlin to have this conversation with me today and to to share your your stories and your thoughts on branding with me and my listeners we we really appreciate your time big pleasure big pleasure thank you so much 
And thanks to everyone for listening. And please hit that subscribe button and give the show a quick rating. It only takes five seconds and it helps the podcast's visibility and growth. And if you really enjoy it, please head on over to patreon.com slash hitting the mark to become a sustaining member supporting this show. There has never been a more important episode in which to give the theme music some credit. It was written and produced by Happiness One. If you want to know who is behind Happiness One, then also head on over to patreon.com slash hitting the mark and you may find what you learn amusing. I will see you next time when we once again will be hitting the mark. <laughs>